Hello and welcome to episode 131 of In The Move Podcast. I'm Callum Reid. And I'm Peter Shepard. And we have a lot to talk about today, so we're not going to bleat on about much, but um, anything to say about the Australian Open? Um, I heard Daniela won because I follow her on Twitter and that's it. That's all I care about. Oh, she's still going? Yeah. God, but 15th time down under. <laughs> it's less than most. <laughs> More than some. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're slightly intoxicated this week, but so no, get ready for some disparagement. How will they tell the difference, Cal? Mm, no. Which is just the conversation we were just having. Exactly. <laughs> okay, any news of a non-film description this week? Anything? Major? Not, not really. Okay. Jose still God. Yeah. Well, what's what would they call him over there? Who God? El Hombre. Godo? El Hombre. That's friend, isn't it? The man. Oh, the man. Okay. <laughs> Spanish knowledge, Portuguese knowledge. Porky. Oh, I don't know about Porky Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, freak is actually corner. Yes. Yes. You, you're agreeing to this? You have. I have consent to move to preconception corner. We can move on. Yes. Sorry, date from last week flashback. Um, <laughs> so this week we're doing American Sniper. <laughs> Whiplash. My old lady again. A date from the other week flashback. <laughs> Testament of youth. Not a flashback. <laughs> Sorry. I'm <laughs> wild. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> You wish. <laughs> right, so uh, American Sniper, preconceptions. Um, well, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Do you want it in inches? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Um, ugh, I don't like him as a director, although I do like... Uh, letters from Iwo Jima, and mm-hmm. I really loved Bridges of Madison County. Yeah, that was, that. that was 20 years ago, though. Yeah, I think in the last 10 years he hasn't made anything... Um, well, the last 8 years he hasn't made anything decent, so that was a negative. Bradley Cooper I like. Yeah. Um, and war films I'm not massive on, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it looked like it was going to be... I mean... Given Flags of Our Fathers, I thought it was going to be more Flags of Our Fathers than Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah. Way. Okay. Right. Um, Eastwood, um, as a director, um, he's always invisible, so I expect something well made, but not in your face. Uh, that's a preconception. Yeah. Uh, war films in general, I'm a big fan of, uh, especially emotional war films. Uh, a preconception mm. for this based on the trailer was I expected the scene that was in the trailer to be the first scene of the film uh, I didn't uh, I didn't which, think was they, the, which one was that uh, where you've got Bradley um, uh, being the sniper and you've got the woman and the kid uh, r- rushing out towards the convoy with a with a, an RKG uh, I expected that to be the first scene of the film um, right Bradley I like uh, in general um, I think uh, he's uh not just a pretty boy. I mean, obviously, this has got, he's had the sexiest man in the world tag, but I think, yeah. I think he can go as I think he can go as an actor, and um, I was looking forward to it. 
Oh, okay. Mm. Whiplash. Um, yeah. um, Whiplash. I, I knew it was about a drummer, a jazz drummer, and I knew that J.K. Simmons was absolutely cleaning up uh, on the Sporting Actor Awards. And I was <laughs> I was hoping he was good because I didn't want to have to bitch about Ethan being better. Yeah. And being snubbed or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that side, I didn't know the director. Miles Teller's okay. I'm not massively in love with him, but I don't um, dislike him by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think he has a bit of charm, so I was hoping that would be on show. Um, I was just gener- generally looking, for- looking forward to it. Okay. <clears throat> I didn't know the director. Um, J.K. Simmons I like in general. Um, yeah, Dark Skies, like- awesome. Yeah, well, I've never thought he was exceptional mm. in anything. Um, apart from, is he in Oz? He probably, yeah, he will have been. Yeah, he was it. Yeah, now you said he it. Was, yes, he was great in Oz. Mm. Um, so, but I, you know, I, I like him. Uh, Miles Teller, I thought he was excellent in Rabbit Hole and um, really good in the Spectacular now. Mm. So he's a plus for me. Uh, I knew it was about a drummer, and you know, his teacher. And mm. uh, I knew it was quite dark. Right. But I didn't really know much about the story or anything. I couldn't remember the trailer. Okay. I don't think I saw the trailer. Uh My Old Lady Um it's Maggie Smith, legend. Yes. And um she is I just can't get enough of her mm. in anything. I just think she's tremendous. Were you gonna see this if I hadn't? No. Okay. It, it's it's been out a while. It has, yes. This is like the third art house that had been around at, and it was like the last one. So I thought, I'd better go see it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Kristen's got Thomas. I knew was in it. Who I like, Kevin Klein who's in it. Who I like. So the cast was a, a big draw. I didn't know anything about the director, and I didn't. I I knew the vague outline of the plot, but I had no idea what to expect. Well, the poster looked like it was going to be a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I'd only really remember that Maggie Smith was in it by the time I went to see it. I, mm-hmm. I, I knew it, I knew when I decided to go and see it that Kevin Klein was in it, but I'd forgotten by the time I got in the building. <laughs> so when I saw Kevin Klein, I think he might have been first build actually. I was like, oh, oh, it's him. Um, didn't know anything about the director. Didn't know anything about the story. Um, just was just doing it because I thought, well, yeah, Maggie Smith in something that's always good. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Testament of Youth. Um, when I, whenever anyone asks me what my favourite type of films are, which actually about three people have asked me in the last two weeks, um, my answer is usually um, romantic dramas and emotional war films. So even though the trailer for this didn't look great, um, I thought, you know what, Peter, it is probably both a romantic drama and an emotional war film. So uh, it should play to your sensibilities. Yeah. Uh, Alicia Vikander, um, I think she was good, uh, borderline very good in uh, A Royal Affair. Mm-hmm. I think uh, she was nice in uh, Anna Karenina, so I think she's got talent. Uh, and she was a plus, and I didn't know anybody else who was in the film. Okay. Mm. Um, I would have seen this, the timings weren't good, and we already had four. For air four of the films, yeah. Um, but I did. I've heard people, people at work, mention it to me and um, say that they thought it was boring, right? Um, which is, you know, they're not 
cinephiles and everything. Yeah. Um, but, and a word at the time was that it was quite traditional but well made and that Alicia Vikander was very good. Okay. So I was, if I'd gone to see it, or I still might go to see it, I would expect her to be good. Well, this is technically 2015, put it that way. Is it? So you might want to get one under, under your belt. So I've got all year. Well, I've got all year then, haven't I? Yeah. To see it. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's all right. Uh, wild. <laughs> Preconception mild for you and Reese. I adore the woman. <laughs> I think she's terrific. But uh, this is mainly in comedies. I think she's terrific. Right. So this is um, a departure from her usual fare. And yeah, but obviously excited for her. Uh, Jean-Marc Vallée. Dallas Bias Club, I, I thought was really good. Crazy, I thought was good. Uh, Young Victoria, I thought was meh. Mm. So, good in general for him. Mm. And I didn't know anything about the story, really. I'm mean, just the basics. I didn't. I haven't read the book that it's based on. So. Mm. Right. Uh, for me, uh, Reese, I'm not a massive fan of by any stretch of imagination. I don't think she's bad. Um, she's not a draw for me, but she's. I. I she's not a negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jean-Marc Vallée I'm the same overall as you but with different films I'm uh, met on crazy I, I like uh, The Young Victoria and um, what was the other one? Dallas Dallas Buyers Club I think, I think it's good um, uh, what else with Wild I uh, yeah I was I, I was not a fan of Into the Wild and this was giving me Into the Wild vibes but I was a fan of Tracks and yeah. this was also giving me track swipes. So I wasn't sure how they were going to go with it um, in terms of whether they were going to focus on the journey or the uh, reasons behind the journey or what have you. Uh, but I was hoping it wasn't going to be like Into the Wild and just an, uh, uh, putting a load of stupidity up on screen for, 20, for two hours. Okay. All right. Okay, so let's start with American Sniper. Is this you? You. Well, it's me, is it? Yep. Okay. Um, American Sniper, this is about... It's based on a book. Um, it's about Chris Kyle, who uh, was got the most kills for the American military ever as a sniper. And, the most um, lethal sniper in US history. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, and he... It's about him basically enlisting in the army um, going his adventures in um, Iraq and Iraq baby (laughs) (laughs) his various intervals from the war going home to his lovely wife Sienna Miller (laughs) Hmm. Uh, and their their child and I think there's much more to to it than that really no that's about it and this, well, this is controversy central this week. Really? After the Oscar noms, um, lots of people weighing on in this, weighing in on the issue of it. Is it pro-war? Um, massive debates on Twitter. Michael Moore said, "Oh, it's you know, it's ridiculously pro-war." Seth Rogen's called it a propaganda recruitment piece, like the one that's made in *Inglorious Bastards* with Daniel Bruhl as the hero. Really? Um, yeah. So lots of negative from left-wing people about this, saying it's too right-wing, 
Um, it's to America, rah, rah, rah. Well, can I jump what, in what, what right now? Can I jump yeah. in right now? My question to them would be, do you like the Hurt Locker? Because this is just like the Hurt Locker in terms yeah. in terms of the... Yeah, agree. And um, it, it's just well, like it's just like a lot of films, really. <laughs> yeah, it, and it depends on. I've done a review on this, so I've like thought I've already sort of thought through my thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, this is essentially Enemy at the Gates meets The Hurt Locker because you've got the uh, duel between two uh, snipers on either side around the frame of The Hurt Locker, where you've got some guy who's used to following his career through the tours in Iraq and the uh, toll that that takes on him. Yeah. And I think at the beginning I was getting a this is just really uh, uh, chest pumping flag waving uh, pro war but by the end it is pure Hurt Locker territory so I don't get that at all. There's a a difference between being pro war and pro soldier. Yeah. This is a character piece. Yes. Exactly. It's very much about the soldier's predicament. Um, his journey, his personal journey, his need to desensitize uh, for the sake of the, the greater picture of the um, the conflict, and the difficulties when coming home. Personally, I don't think the home life is handled very well. No, um, it's poor. As well as the hurt locker, um, and a poor Sienna Miller doesn't get a thing to do. Sienna Miller. Oh my! She tries, bless her cotton socks. She does she, the best that she can. She tries so hard. I, I would actually even say she tries too hard. But <laughs> she's when you've got so many gaps in everything in the film, both in his military career and at home, uh, because suddenly you're like you'll come home and the kids are like three years old or whatever, and you've only just seen them being born. Yeah, you can't shorthand it that much and have an emotional re- reaction to it you can't have your cake and eat it no so i don't and think i don't think they're going for the emotion with that i think they're using it as a just to highlight the the quandary that the man finds himself in by doing the job that he does yeah yeah and it's it's sort of like there is this kind of cyclical message sort of self-destructive element about soldiers kind of becoming heroes but you know also becoming bigger targets by what eventually happens and And becoming desensitized the more they do the job yep disabled um you know and it's unable to function yeah yeah physically some of them mentally emotionally yeah and jane fonda actually of all people Mm -hmm. you know you know, really waving the flag for this one because she likened it to coming home, which I actually think she's right about. It's very like coming home, except coming yes. home, you only see the aftermath of it. Yeah, I, I, I get that one, yeah. I actually think this is better than coming home. Um, but I, it's, it is very much a tale of two, two things for me. I like the war stuff. I think it's very strong, most of it. Um, but the home life, which doesn't feature that much, I think gets shorthanded. And I do think the representation of the Iraqis in general is a little shorthanded too. Yeah, this was my point on my review of it. Um, my, uh, if you're comparing it to Enemy at the Gates, um, which I think is a natural comparison, I don't know if any other anybody else has been comparing it. Um, I, I think it's obvious. 
but if you look at Emily at the Gates, you have it from both sides. You have a persp- you have Ed Harris's perspective, and you have Jude Law's perspective. Of course, there's more of Jude Law because he's the main character. But you do see Ed Harris uh, going into meetings and with the kid and all that sort of stuff. Blah 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 yeah. blah blah. With this, it's kind of like United '93, in that you've literally yeah. just got this guy and there's no backstory whatsoever. I mean, just apart from the fact that he's in the Olympics, that's it. It's interesting that you compare it to United 93 because it reminded me of Green Zone. Yes. But Grand, whereas Grand I thought Green Zone was actually quite bad, mm. um, I think this this is sort of a real step up from that. But it's a similar situation with them trying to, I wouldn't say interact with the Iraqis, but, well, they do interact. They go for dinner. Um, mm. <laughs> but it's like the only real victims we see are women and children we never really get to see the people who are caught in the crossfire mm. but then at the same time it's that's not really the film they're making so I'm a bit hesitant as to whether that's a huge issue for me or not really mm. I think for me um, it's it's just if you watch this film you would assume that this guy killed people every time he left the base and uh, when they actually put the total amount of people that he uh, killed as a, uh, and the number of days that he was there, it's really uh, the, it's this One film. Week. This film, no, not even. That. Well, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, this this film is like the opposite of Jarhead because Jarhead was about Jake Gyllenhaal who never pulled the trigger, and this is the guy who did it all the time more than anybody else. Yeah. But even this guy who did it more than anybody else, eighty-five percent of the time wasn't pulling the trigger. And I th- they completely ignore that. And I think if it's kind of like the uh, the Peter Cech syndrome, where you've got you to, in order to be a really really great goalie, you've got to be doing nothing and then be suddenly called upon out of nowhere to do something, and you do it. And I think they don't ever look at that side of it and and uh, realize that if you kill um, six people in one go, then you're going to be going five weeks of nothing, on average afterwards. Yeah, you don't get the, the monotony mono- yeah. in between. Yeah, but, but then that doesn't make for a good film, does it? I well, guess no. That's what the- yeah, but then the question is: Does just does the uh, basic narrative of like Enemy at the Gates without the characterization does that make for a good film? I don't. But then know. with the Hurt Locker, I think you do get that in the Hurt Locker. Mm. You get going back to the room all the time and drinking mm. and just like kind of mm. <clears throat> the general day to day madness of it. Yeah, but. Then again, I didn't like the Hurt Locker, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but then again, I think a lot of the reason why I didn't like the Hurt Locker was because I didn't get that much from Jeremy Renner's performance, um, and I didn't get that much from Bradley Cooper's performance here either. I think this is a better film than the Hurt Locker, but I think this kind of like doesn't play to his strengths as an actor. Um, I think he's best when he's playing manic. Uh, uh, or frenzied, like um, the last oh, couple of years. Yeah, or, or silver linings is obvious, but also something like limitless. I think he's. I think that's the sort of thing that he does quite well. Whereas here, it's all restrained. It's all Pacino at the end of the Godfather Part Two. Let the chinks like um, come through your face type acting. But when he's put the weight on uh, to do this. And you're hiding, so he's got a fleshed out face which he's not used to using. And you had the beard to hide him behind as well. I don't think he's, I mean, he's had like 20 years of, of, of getting used to using his face, and suddenly he's got a face that he's not used to using. And I don't think he's very expressive, and I don't think the emotions come through well enough. I, I think his body language is convincing. I think the early scenes 
Sienna, I think he's convincing. At the bar? Yeah. I think that's his best scene, by the way, at the bar, when he mm. when he tries to pick her up. I, I, I actually thought he was really good, but it's it's a different... I agree it's a different performance from him, and it's not the kind of person that I would identify with or really want to identify with, if I'm honest. You wouldn't want to go for a beer with him? No. No. Mm. I yeah, I can't believe this, and I, I'm like can't because I'm very left wing, mm. almost pacifist. So <laughs> for me to like this film is pretty. Unless I'm being blind and everybody else is right that this is propaganda, which it's not. I don't think um, it is. No. I think this is. I think this is a decent effort from Eastwood, who's pretty right wing himself, to actually tell a soldier's story and be balanced about it. So yeah. I'd give this a B. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's a three-star film for me because uh, it has, I, I think, I, I, I just don't know why they didn't cast Chris Pratt and let's see what he can do. <laughs> Especially given the guy's picture at the end. And incidentally, apparently, um, Cooper, who's producing it, originally always intended to use Pratt in the lead, but I don't, right. I don't know why... Um, he ended up going for himself, um, but yeah, it's it's got a lot of issues. But I do think it, despite those issues, it's still inherently watchable. I think it's it recalls too many other films and doesn't do anything new. But it's still because of that, because of that familiarity, I still think it's quite watchable. So this like a, I think it's like five out of ten, six out of ten ish. We'll go. With, I, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what I gave it. I have given it a number, but I can't remember. I think I gave it a five. I actually watched it last week, and it's got better. It's gone up a half grade. Really? Mm. The more I've thought about it, but mm. yeah, it's it's it does have its problems. Yeah. Well, Sienna's better brunette, but yeah, whatever. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> better. <laughs> <laughs> right. So whiplash. This isn't me, is it? No, it's me. Right. Um, so because J.K. Simmons is be- <laughs> yeah, uh, because J.K. Simmons is winning Best Supporting Actor awards all over the shop, that mm-hmm. obviously means that um, his character is not central to this film. So I'm going to describe this film without mentioning J.K. Simmons' character, uh, the plot, the plot, basic outline, etc. of this film. So Whiplash is about a drummer at a conservatoire in America who plays in a band and goes to the cinema with his dad, asks a girl out, goes out with her once, and dumps her. That's the film. If, if, anybody, if J.K. Simmons is supporting, that's the film. And for anybody listening, that's not just my emulation of um, Whiplash's editing style <laughs> while editing the podcast. Um, <laughs> you didn't miss anything there. No. No, but yeah. It's... So- it's- it it is a teacher terrorizing his student. It's it uh it's 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 one of the most ridiculous category frauds. It's, it's, it's a I joke. agree with you. I agree with you. I do think he's a core lead. Um, it's uh the, I suppose the natural comparison, and I thought this um immediately when I came out of the cinema, and I've had um someone else say it as well. It's the Devil Wears Prada. But the thing is, there's a lot of subplots with the Devil Wears Prada, and there's a lot of sub characters. Which are only to do with Anne Hathaway, and I yeah. think I think Stroop's lead anyway because of like that because the story the centre of the story is that Anne Hathaway goes to work from the boss from hell. Yeah, you can't you, the, the centre of that story is the boss from hell and Anne Hathaway, 
Um, I think that's even more so here because you've got this tyrannical um, uh, conductor uh, and his effect on this promising young student. That is the centre of the story. No question about it for me. Have you seen The Paper Chase? Oh, don't think so. It's a film from 1973. It's about this guy who, like a student, and he, it's like a tyrannical um, lecturer he's got, and it's John Houseman, and he won the supporting actor. Yeah, uh, uh, that's probably why it rings a bell. So it's exactly, it's kind of the same role, except, you know, not as overtly monstrous, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not a core lead. You know, mm. he just comes in and out of the film, but. Right, um, but it just reminded me of that because the Paper Chase is a great film. I'd recommend anyone to see this. Yeah, the Paper Chase. So, so the real plot rundown of Whiplash <laughs> is that Miles Teller goes to uh, is a student at the conservatoire. He gets invited by the uh, head honcho uh, uh, lecturer there to join uh, the studio band, and then the lecturer completely uh, uh, pushes him, pushes him, pushes him, pushes him as far as he can go, and shenanigans ensue. They do. But can we talk about how bad and redundant that um, uh, subplot is with the girl at the cinema? Every other, every subplot. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's just it's it's the worst romance subplot I've seen in a film in a yeah. long time. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it. <laughs> I was going to say it. It's just absolutely ridiculous. The date, the dating scenes, it's so unconvincing. Mm. The, the, when he asks her out, it's just so poor. So poor. And tell and her, can be charming. Oh. The, the breakup scene is just... This is my prop... Right. There's a, I've got a real problem with... I think the film's alright. Mm. It's okay. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, me too. But the characterization of Miles Teller throughout is very, very spotty. Yeah. And um, he the... starts off as pretty much a wallflower. You get this lame dinner scene where... Which rent, like... Yeah says that basically they're all raving about his football jock brother and he's, he's supposed to have this inferiority complex. But he but, doesn't, because he thinks he's better than them all. Yeah, but does that explain what hap- what and, he turns into in this film? And, and and not only that, it's just that it's it doesn't even make him that necessarily interesting or likeable, that he's just that cocky. He is actually ridiculously cocky in this film because he's like that with the um, uh, with the family. Family, he's just superior with his own family. That's not that's not an interesting or attractive ca- uh, trait. And then when he is dumping his bird because I want to be one of the greats. I don't want to be great. I want to be one of the greats. And you don't get that from the music either, from the music scenes either, because you just think he's slightly better than the other two schleps who have to be there. It's, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not an appealing character, even though Miles Teller usually is appealing. But... No, yeah, he yeah he is usually appealing. Yeah, I mean uh, Simmons in general, I think don't uh, I think he's good. I do I, think he's good. Yeah, yeah. But I I, I I don't think I never get when he's being the bastard. I never really I never really found it amusing uh, or really entertaining in and of itself. I just thought, oh, he's just being a bastard. And then when he um, has the more emotional aspects to it, I thought he was solid, but I don't yeah. think I don't think he moved me at all emotionally. So I, I think it was a good performance, but um, I think it's a I think it will be a decent win. With we talk about him in relation to the other performances later. Yeah, because um, I saw the judge this week as well. Oh, interesting. Um, 
Lead or sporting? <laughs> oh, um, Deval. I mean, the fight. Uh, supporting. Uh, I, I'd go lead because I think it's about the two, especially the with the with the way the film ends. I think it's about the two of them. Because one. it's called the But joke. that is close. No, 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 no. I'm never like that. Yeah, Rebecca's lead, and Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think Simmons is. I think Simmons is better than Leto. Put it that way. Um, oh yes, oh yes. In the grand scheme of the last ten years of supporting actor wins, I don't think he's in the high higher echelons because I think there's been some great supporting actor wins uh, recently. I certainly um, prefer Waltz off the top of my head. Yeah, well, um, Plummer. Both. Yeah. Oh yeah, Plummer. Awesome. Yeah. Bale. Um, Ledger. No. Yeah, I'd yeah probably, anyway. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Ledger, but I probably shade him. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, he's. I mean, Simmons is good, and I do think uh, the film gets a lot better when it enters the last third. Right, because post, after it post leads, car crash. Oh, that terrible! That's terrible. Unreal. It's so unrealistic. Well, but this is my problem with the film in general. It's just that the the plotting is just crap, quite frankly, yeah. and it's not interesting. It it's it just. It tries to insert drama in a way that isn't compelling or interesting. It's just it just tries to jolt it along and give it a push. Yeah. And it just it's just it's just not realistic. And you think, well, if you actually went the character route and fleshed that out and if you actually had I I, I don't know. Because because where they're where they're on. going with it, if you if you think to because the the last scene is where they're going with it, and yeah, it what it does is it means they've got to they've got to try and like keep some like dramatic things happening to make it interesting in between, and I actually don't think I think there's a lot of questions as to well why is that even happening why is that happening why is that happening uh, along with it, so I think that's what you mean with the bells and whistles thing they're just trying to like get you there. Well, it's over-directed to hell. It's yeah to the point of extinction. It's just this the manic editing. I can't believe this has got an editing nomination. Well, it's, some of it is ridiculous. You, just uh, because <laughs> you've got a music scene, yeah, does not mean you can just edit something every half second. That mm. doesn't keep the rhythm. My, That's not rhythm. One of my favorite. That's fa- just alluding to it one of my favourite comments about the Oscars was uh, you could re- easily replace the word best with most yeah exactly <laughs> for mo- for all of the categories so the, the most editing <laughs> in a motion picture yeah it's just imparting the illusion of rhythm um, well, no, I, I, trying I, to divert the audience from what's quite a repetitive dramatically repetitive film yeah I, I think um, the word the, when it gets thing is with editing, it's quite interesting uh, as a, as a concept to approaching uh, underscoring music. You would think that you should do it on the because if if music is going on, oh, music has a beat most of the time. Obviously, it doesn't always, but um, you would think uh, you would you would edit in t- in time with the music. And a time when I can think of that actually really working is in the uh, high scenes in the Usual Suspects. Where where you'll have the you'll have the music going like, like one two three four cut two three four and they'll just keep on cutting in on the first beat of the bar, and it, it's quite it, that's quite good because it's it's the, it's setting up the heist scene in a way, but then in this film you'll you'll have the final um uh, you have the fight the final big long scene 
and they'll start cutting it'll start cutting on the beat and actually if you watch a lot of montages which if you watch a lot of cinema then you do then they kind of don't they always do it off the beat they don't the best editors don't actually do it in time with the music. Well, it'd be too conscious, wouldn't it? Yeah, in time. yeah exactly. So I think time. I think if you watch the clubbing scene from Babel, it won't be it, it, the, the the beginning bits won't be in time with the music. It'll just be, it'll be just to shift you on somewhere else. Yeah, and the, the music. T- yeah, go. At the same time, the blood on the drums and the sweat on the drums. How many times? It's all too much. Mm. Um, but. Having said that, when it gets, I do think the mentor mentee relationship is kind of nuanced, and I do like how they become similar. You realise how similar they are the longer it goes. Yeah. And how similarly determined they are. Well, I really like the scene outside the club where they uh, meet up again, but then I hate where they go with that for the end. Yeah. Uh, it dramatically, it's not interesting, and it's they've got these characters that you sort of like hint at going somewhere mildly interesting, and if um, oh, there are just multiple other ways you could have gone with it, which would obviously not be where they want to go with it, but yeah, that but there are a lot of other better ways. I mean, the uh, self the self sabotage thing seems way too. He wouldn't. I, I don't feel like he would have gone there. I think no. he was too proud of his musical roots. And, and also, also when he says that these people never forget, you wouldn't do it. He wouldn't yeah. do it. So only it people, only people who've watched the film will know what we're talking about. There. Yeah, but that's quite good, I think. Um, but yeah, I do I mean, like that. I do like that after what well, after that happens. I do like the, his reaction to it. Yeah, and their general kind of rapport yeah. or not rapport yeah. you can feel that in the acting which is good and yeah. the music which is good but as a, as a whole scene I mean there have been so many musical scenes in recent years uh, of that sort of length that sort of 5-10 minute length which are so much better than this I'm, thi- uh, I'm thinking something like the beginning scene of um, Igor uh, Coco Chanel and Igor Stravinsky where they show the right of spring and it's like t- they show it for 10 minutes the concert or the end of Le Concert we're, we're going back to Melanie Laurent again uh, yeah. they do the uh, Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto at the end it's a 10 minute it's like a 5-10 minute scene of the concert and it is really really great with this a lot of times, especially with real life people, I get chills down my spine when you get to like Johnny Cash doing the Folsom Prison, or you get to um, uh, the end of the Buddy Holly story where he's doing the uh, medley of songs, all that sort of stuff. It really makes a rest and uh, gives me yeah. a physical reaction to it. And with this, I just felt like they want me to have a physical reaction. I should be having one right now if it was better, but I actually don't think this is that good, and it's not that compelling uh, given the story. So I'm not, I'm not there. Um, I haven't bought in enough for this to really hit home. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's very weirdly it, structured as a film, which I find interesting in a way. But I, I there are so many directions where the script could have gone in a, a better, a better direction. You know? mm. There's so many places it could have amped up. Um, I don't think you need the romance at all. No. Um, well, or or what you could do is after you have the uh, thing with the car, then you go in the romance direction and just uh, step away well, from it. Well, have the thing with the car earlier and then Or have the thing with the car. The don't don't everything. don't have what happens immediately after the car and have him just go home and then and then start again 
and and then just be out of it and uh, out of it all, which he ends up being, and uh, go in the romance direction, and then gradually bring him back in. That that would be that would that would be more interesting to me, and it would also flesh out the character more, and it would also bring in the whole uh, concept of ambition versus um, situation. Because if you if you actually are ambitious, but you, you you've had a go and you've burnt out and what have you, how do you get back in there? How do you recharge the batteries? Uh, what gives you the motivation? It, there, there, are, there are quite a few interesting things that you can flesh out there, and I'm just thinking about this on the top of my head. It does feel like a film that was just uh, didn't have a second draft. Yeah, very young skewing film to be nominated for best picture as well. Um, yeah, but I mean, it got nothing else as we're going to get onto later. I mean, it didn't get direct. Um, it didn't got get a screenplay. Did it? I didn't. Mm. It didn't take that one. <laughs> I think it did. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, C plus, Whitlash. Yeah, six out. Of t- it's a decent watch. It really is, but it leaves a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's Pete Near's Six Pints. We're going to talk about My Old Lady, um, which is not my mother. It's, um... it's usually the other way around. I talk about mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, has been in the past. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is. Um, this is a film uh, starring Maggie Smith. It's a 92-year-old woman. Kevin Klein is an American who journeys to France because he's been left a apartment in Paris um, as part of his father's estate. Mm-hmm. And um, when he gets there, he finds Maggie Smith living in the apartment. And it turns out that Kevin Klein has now inherited a debt and he has to pay Maggie Smith €2,400 a month for the privilege of staying in his apartment because his father went out with Maggie Smith and had an affair with her all these years ago and um, created a viage. Yes. A Meanwhile, Kristen Scott Thomas is Maggie Smith's daughter, lives in the apartment with her and doesn't take too kindly uh, to Kevin Klein when her mother asks him to move in. Mm. Something like that. And... Lots of um, shenanigans, issues in shoe. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to talk about the marketing. Was there any marketing? Well, the marketing's very yellow and pink, and um, light and breezy, and it's not really a fair reflection of the film. No, it sells it as a rom com. The yeah. poster and everything. Yeah. Keeping Mum too. <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> this time she's dying. Um, but it's not... It, after the first 40 minutes or so, it's not really the sweetness and light that you expect. No. Is that for the better or worse, do you think? Um, It could do with being funnier. Mm-hmm. I, do, I, I, I'll, I will go along with that. I do think it could do with being funnier, but... Um... At the end of the day, they do kind of go in uh, quite dramatic. Uh, I think there's a there's yeah. a very overtly um, psychological underpinning to the film's point, uh, which isn't necessarily funny. <laughs> and yeah. uh, then, given the way that also given the way that uh, they tie that together with the characterization, yeah. Mm. 
it's more interesting when they stop beating around the bush. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you've got the first, you know, the initial uh, dealings with the estate agent and Kevin Klein, how am I going to sell this house, rah, rah, rah. And, um, yeah, him finding out many revelations about his childhood. But when you get to explore other revelations mm. that haven't that we don't know about and then they're introduced in such a way where Kevin Klein just start falls off the wagon as a um, quite literally previous alcoholic um, starts swigging red wine from the bottle. the bottle yeah it's very and, stagey that yeah this is obviously a play obviously yeah and from then on I think it's just a little bit too overwrought and um, messy I do think it's entertaining enough, uh, but I think that's because all... Because of Klein. All down to, yeah, I was going to say, it's all. usually you would think that would be to do with Maggie Smith, but Maggie Smith is extraordinarily underused and underplayed in this film. It's all about Kevin Klein. I think he's good. I think he's very good, actually. Uh, but uh, when he does have to swig from the bottle, it's almost as if they're so used to having that visual on stage uh, as a sort of... Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily lend itself well to this medium. Yeah. And the direction's not particularly inspired in general either. No. Um, I assume this is the guy's play, though. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. He's actually done a lot of... Um, uh, he's done a lot of films as well. Um just screenplay work. I'll, I'll get it up while you while you talk about, about your next point. <laughs> After six pints, that's doing well. Yeah, <laughs> I can actually remember the guy's name. <laughs> Jewish guy called I, Israel. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Surprised Vanessa Redgrave isn't in this. Um, I just think I do think Klein's good, but I also think he's inconsistent. Uh, and I think he's struggling at the all out with the banality of the material. Yeah. Um, and, but at least he's grappling with what the character's about and he, pro- he gets the most interesting characters. That's fair enough. Mm. Smith's not out, coming out of a comfort zone. She's just happy. Yeah. And Scott Thomas seems to think that this is like an Arthur Miller play or something. Scott Thomas. It's profound. The only time that I actually saw why I thought she would do this film was uh, when it gets towards what uh, happens between her and Klein towards the end. Uh, and then, and even then I was thinking, yeah, you probably did this on stage or saw this on stage and thought that was quite good, so that's why you're doing it. I don't think mm-hmm. it necessarily lends itself to cinema. Um, I just thought her best scene was with the um, the guy she's having an affair with yeah. on the stairs. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Israel Horowitz, the director, who is also a playwright of over fifty plays, uh, did the stra- uh-huh. he did the Strawberry Statement, uh, author author, which is one of the least known Al Pacino films, Sunshine, the uh, Ishvan Jarbo film with Jennifer Ely, awesome, oh, yes. awesome, yes. and Jennifer Ely's mom, Rosemary Harris, also awesome in that film, and he's also got overwriting credits for a new uh, a segment of uh, New York I Love You. And when did he do this play? Does it say? The play, I'm not actually sure. Uh, I think it's probably newish. But I, I think... When you, you would think so, wouldn't you? There's so many um, simplistic uh, psychological um, d- 
uh, underpinnings what? to this that when you've seen something like In Treatment, uh, we, yeah, that is yeah. that nuanced. When this is that on the nose, that oh, mommy, mommy, energy. yeah, mommy and daddy did this. Well, well, yeah, get over it, son. It's but it's like what really the moment where I was like no coming back from this film was when um, Kevin Klein has that big speech to Kristen Scott Thomas and reveals what happened to his mother. Yeah. And then Maggie Smith comes in mm. the morning after. And he's just immediately... And just... brings it... And it's just like, well, if she'd been listening, fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, it was just like, well, where's this come from? It's quite... It's to connect the dots in the plotting, I think. Yeah. And um, I think... I mean, overall, in general, it's I didn't have a bad time in the cinema watching it. So I wasn't pissed off that I went to see it when I came out. I thought, it was, uh, but I think that's because the acting. I think I think Smith's decent. Um, Thomas is quite good, and uh, Klein's very good, and that that sort of elevates it quite a lot. And but I do think also it's not as funny. As, I mean, when you've got a story which is essentially that a guy wants uh, a 92-year-old woman to die so that he can sell his flat. That should be funnier than this film is. Yeah, there should be a lot more black comedy in it. Mm. Instead, it's just kind of wallowing dra- melodrama yeah. for me. But, mm. Mm. Yeah, what's your grade on this one? C-. minus. Yeah, um, a bit higher than you, 6 out of 10. Okay. Alright, so tell me about Testament of Youth. Testament of Youth. Uh, stars Alicia Vikander as Vera Britton, who was uh, a woman who actually lived in the uh, through through the First World War. Uh, she en- British, yes, oh. she, she was British. She ended up writing a memoir, which was which is uh, considered one of the defining uh, uh, portrayals of women uh, during the First World War. Uh, she just wants to go to Oxford so much because she just can't do anything but be surrounded by a load of toffs. Does she meet Eddie Redmayne? Well, she wishes that she would, but um, he was doing physics, darling. Uh, <laughs> and um, she's got her, 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 her brother and um, some bloke who wants her and some other bloke who wants her. And they're all going to Oxford, don't you know? Because that's all you do in, 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 in Britain, in, Britain in, in, in the 19-odds. So they're, they're, is that what they call so it? They're, all go, they're all going to have a jolly good time going to Oxford and then that, that, the pesky old war gets in the way with that bloody uh, uh, Franz Ferdinand and his shite song. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Little did he know that it wasn't his biggest disgrace getting shot by the Germans. I thought you meant being, being, being written by Franz Ferdinand. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so... All, all the boys in the family are going off to play, and by play I mean die in the war. And so uh, our, our darling Vera has got to find something to do during the war as well. So she was going to give up her career at Oxford, where Miranda Richardson's looking down her nose at her because she's just some brown-haired Swedish bird. Although let's face it, Miranda <laughs> Richardson looks down her nose at everyone, <laughs> just in life in general. So it's about. I'm going to stop the accent there. So it's about how um, uh, Vera um, uh, volunteers for various nursing duties, uh, both home and abroad, in order to sort of assuage her guilt uh, and also get closer to the uh, people that she's uh, lost slash is losing. It's sort of like if is she like the Olivia de Havilland of the First World War? (laughs) (laughs) 
She says, if Olivia de Havilland was the lead of Gone with the Wind. It's all very, it's, like, it's all very Ernest Hemingway, but um, without Rock Hudson. <laughs> There's a lot of ambulances. <laughs> it, it, this is basically the boring part of Atonement without James McAvoy. <laughs> That's essentially what this film is. <laughs> it really is. It's just well, it's the just, vestibule scene. It, it's just old nursey speaking German to the Germans, don't you know? Because she can speak German rather than Latin. Because she didn't do no Latin when she took her exam for Oxford. But she's still going to Oxford, darling. I mean, for fuck's sake! I mean, who gives a shit about Oxford, really? I mean, that, that is the problem with the film. It is so overtly British, in inverted commas, in the way that only Americans think that British people are British. And, um, oh, yeah, it's it's got a lovely score, Max Richter, mm-hmm. for the win. Uh, it's very nice. It's very nice. He is. Uh, it's very nicely shot. Um, but the problem... How's Alicia? Does that answer your question, that sigh? Because the accent, I think, is an issue. Because she's she's attempting an accent that doesn't exist, which is a problem for a start. When you've got that sort of fake British accent that, I mean... Well, it did exist, didn't it? Once upon a time. Yeah, if you were uh, trying to work for the BBC on the radio in the 1930s. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, received pronunciation, exactly. Um, but um, I th- uh, there are certain scenes in this film between her and the main lad and when I'm slowing down how well how fast I'm speaking it's because I'm typing testament to you <laughs> into IMTP I will say so that, that it's, a very, it's a very nice name. title it is. I do like the and title that's the title of the, her memoir and she right. did a few others Right, uh, Kit Harrington never heard of the guy. He's playing her love interest, uh, and there are certain scenes between him and her where I just think, you know what, they haven't got the chops. And if I hadn't seen Alicia Vikander be good before, I would think, why the hell is she in this film? Because it's just, I can see how this role would appeal. And I just don't know why. A, they haven't given it to someone who's British. Because like Tuppence Middleton or something. Well, apparently, Shia Sharonin originally had it and she gave it up. Good decision? Well, I don't know, because I, I, I can see why it would be an appealing role for, for, for a young girl. For a young girl, this is a great role, because it takes her from, like, um, she uh, it's, it's the sort of uh, Anne Hathaway in Becoming Jane role. <laughs> where she, don't even go there. Where she, that, was, <laughs> that was... Where, where she wants to become a writer uh, but then that's just the, the starting point as opposed to the whole point of the film and then she uh, goes on all these things and sees all these horrors and uh, gets all these heartbreaks and uh, blah 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 um, but uh, there are certain scenes between them where I actually just thought if both of you were better this would have so much on it and this would be actually could actually be quite moving, but you just neither of you have the chops. And I know Alicia Vikander has the chops, so the only thing I can do is blame the director, James Kent, for not getting it out of her because she can go, she really can. I think this will get good reviews. I haven't looked, but I think 
out of London, it was getting good reviews. Right. Uh, I, I don't see anyone really hating this film, yeah. quite frankly. And I didn't hate it. I thought it was... I think at times it's quite moving, but and I think and I think the it, value in it. But I it? also think it's quite moving because of the story. I don't actually think it's necessarily exploitative. I don't think it's they don't need to like show a load of poppies in order to get you to feel for the characters. I, I think that the, mm. I think it's just a, a general uh, melancholia that surrounds the subject matter. Uh, and uh, thank you, Lars. <laughs> yeah, any chance. <laughs> But um, the, I mean, it has a bit of a it has a bit of the uh, room with the views at the beginning, uh, with like them uh, two, uh, the uh, them all like going for swims in the local lake. But he, he there's there's no uh, the, when you think when I think of a room for with a view, I think of those gorgeous scenes with um, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, Denim. Uh, and no, well, I was going to say, um, uh, oh god, I'm struggling to remember his name. The bloke who was in um, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, the the blonde guy, Denim Elliott. No, right? the blo- the young blonde guy. Um, mm. <sighs> was he in Maurice? He might have been. I can't think. But it's not. I mean, that's the comparison yeah, but, 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 that people have to stand against Merchant Ivory. Yeah, that's... it's it's um, Julian Sands. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that is. Yeah, yeah, Julian Sands. So um, when, when you've got those like sweeping, like really overtly romantic uh, scenes there, uh, and then you've got the comedy outside of it. I mean, when we realize the comedy, that's the bonus. But you don't have that sort of sweeping romance. It's more um, uh, the the letters between people, and it's. Uh, but it never gets into bright star territory with that. Um, this is it's it, it's it it's quite a good film. It's uh, it's it does it does have an effect emotionally. I, mm-hmm. I would say that, um, but I think it tries a bit too hard. It's a bit too. It's very dry, and it tries too hard to be rich. It's extremely dry. It's it's fucking Sahara. <laughs> dry <laughs> and that's the problem with it it's the Pacific Coast Trail <laughs> which we'll get on to right now um, 6 out of 10 for Testament of the Youth uh, so Wild Wild stars Reese Witherspoon as Yay! as <laughs> as a heroin addicted slag <laughs> who decides to <laughs> yeah well, fair enough face no who decides to uh, walk for a thousand miles across the Pacific Crest Trail because mommy's died. Um, partly, yes. Yeah. Who's Laura Dern? Yes. Oscar nominee. Um, well, yes. Is, is that it? Is that your rundown? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll do. Right. Um, I'm okay. all for brevity, don't you? <laughs> um. This is from based on a true story. Mm. It's from Cheryl Strayed's book, and I would just want to start by saying I think it's refreshing that she hasn't portrayed herself in a good light. Well, no, and that there isn't really that much of an arc. I don't feel like the film expects us to really like expect to have glowing respect for this person at the end of it. No. I think it's more about the character, mm. um, which I appreciated. I think it showcases the many flaws and weaknesses of the character. 
uh, and while saying that this journey is about is not about redemption, it's more about her trying to discover herself, her like the purpose, um, her learning to use a bit of willpower. I I feel like it it's not. Um, it's not from rain to shine, and that's what I like about it. There's a lot of blurry lines in there. Mm. Well, it's not about the journey. It's it's about why she's doing the journey. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Mm. Uh, I, I got quite a natural affection, I don't know why, for road movies. Uh, yeah. For, for stories based around a journey. But this isn't about the journey. It's, it's really about why she's doing the journey. And... Uh, uh, the flashbacks in this, good God, ridiculous. And I blame Nick Hornby because you cannot just do this in the editing room. This has to be structured that way on the page, surely. Because there's so it's so there's so much of it, and it's so consistent how it will go out of one and into the other. I, I love keep, the editing. I hate it so much. It's my it's my. Look. I don't think it's the editing. I think it's screenplay. I I really do. And it's just spasmodic, and it just—it's just—it's like you're driving. Uh, it's like you've, uh, like you're about to stall, and you're taking your foot off the, uh, uh, <laughs> taking your foot off the clutch, and the car's just hopping. Yeah, we'll put it this. Yeah, but put it this way: if if it is if it is the screenplay, I think the editing helps it. I think right. the editing seems quite easy I don't know I found it easy to watch I didn't find it jarring at all mm. but obviously I think I think I, I think in certain things like when you see like Reese like put something in her mouth and then it like cuts back to a sex scene with her tits out um, I, I can I can see that what they're doing I, I, they're, they're like saying that she, she, she's doing something now and then that, that how that reminds you of something that you've done with the past that you're not especially proud of or whatever oh my goodness suck my finger uh, but um, I think as a whole, it's uh, it does get into into the wild territory, especially with the writing on the screen uh, stuff with the quotes. Uh, That's not the same, though. It's not the same, but it's uh, it, it 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 echoes it. Um, and I just I wish the journey had more of an actual story as opposed to the backstory, which I think is the whole point of the film. But yeah, but at the same time, if this woman, it's she's thinking I've done this great thing, but if nothing happened on the journey, if she didn't like meet the love of her life on the journey, or she didn't like have to climb mountains and do all this stuff, then mm. why should it be about that? Surely it should be about why she went on it in the first place. Well, and the my, reasons. My problem. My problem is that the only drama that is created through the story, through the actual journey, is that it's out of her stupidity. It's like, oh, I'm never going to put up a tent before in my life. Oh, I've got to actually read the instructions now. I'm actually trying to do it for the first time ever. And, oh, I'm going to do my first meal. Uh, what? 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 The gas isn't the right thing for things. So I've got to, so I've got to eat cold mash for seven days. Oh, my God. It's like, I actually said the words. I told. I actually sent a call of text saying, yeah. I'm, two, I'm two minutes into the wild. I said the word stupid bitch out loud already. And I thought it about four times in the first fifteen minutes of this film. But she probably thought it as well. I, I think about was, herself. I, yeah, I think there was not much thought gone into this <laughs> at all. And uh, I think that she was underprepared, and that's what she she's admitted here. Mm. But it's like, 
What do you think about... Well, if she wasn't pre- underprepared for any potential sexual activity, she would have been <laughs> <laughs> What do you think... Well, her... Um, not her life, but her um, safety is in danger in this film. And it's interesting because it's not like... Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a threat. There's a proposed threat to her. Mm. And then there's an actual threat to her. But there isn't really a threat to her, if you get me. So as soon she meets the old guy, mm. who's a bit creepy. Yeah. And that kind of rears its course. And then she's got the two people who are out wandering around drinking beer. Yeah. And that kind of half rears its course, but doesn't. Yeah. I think um, with this, I mean, it's it's obviously a journey story, and uh, Valet kind of did this with uh, Dallas Buyers Club, where he's like got the day one or day twenty eight or day thirty five or whatever. Yeah. And I was just thinking, seriously, you're only doing six miles a day. I mm-hmm. I, I do six miles in fifty minutes. <laughs> and I know I'm running and I haven't got a stupid oversized backpack, but still, come on, woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we're not we're not here judging her bloody expertise on hiking. I don't know, we could be. <laughs> we shouldn't be. <laughs> if if it'd been like oh she walked fourteen days and fourteen days and you'd be like, No. She wouldn't have done that. Mm. <laughs> so how, how how good do you think Reese is? Um, I think it's one, I think it's her best dramatic performance. Mm. Uh, not by much, but I do. Like, I thought, think it's kind of high three star stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, we'll get on to ranking her against you, the best actress nominees later, but it's mm. nice to see her outside of a film where she's obviously giving a performance. I don't feel she's obviously giving a performance here. No, I agree it's with that, It's very yeah. passive and ingrained at times. Um, can uh, you even, see why she turned down Big Eyes to do this? Oh, that's interesting. Well, she produced this, didn't she? Yeah. So, she was passionate about it, so that makes sense. And it mm. certainly makes sense in retrospect now. She got the Oscar nomination. Um, yeah, more on uh, that but, later. <laughs> but yeah, I think she's good. I, I do think Laura Dern is really good in a very limited role. Mm-hmm. I'd say too. I'd say too limited. I, I mm, yeah. Considering that she's well, we'll get onto this more later. But um, I don't think she has a tremendous amount to do at all. And uh, I think I think she's fine for what she's doing. She's got uh, a lot of soul. She does. She, but then Laura Dern always does. Yeah, but um, it helps with fl- the flashbacks to have the soul there because you don't really have that in the. Um. In the journey, it's all very functional, really. Mm. I think. Um, how would you compare this with tracks in terms of? Um, I view? don't. I, I don't know, in terms of cinematography, to begin with, because I mean, tracks was just gorgeous. Well, let's face it. Um, if you've got good scenery, um, the Australian outback is going to naturally be more. Uh, the tracks had uh, much better cinematography. I don't think the cinematography stand out on this film. Mm. Uh, I do think tracks has a better 
character study as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it has a better structure in general. I think it tracks things were way too um, sort of bogged down. I think it got a little bogged down. Because it was so slavishly determined to have a quarter of the yeah. way through the journey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whereas I think this, I actually really like the structure. I think the editing's genius because it, it manages to make it easy, or it did for me, to mm. watch it, despite the fact that it jumps back and forth in time a lot. So I think the editing's better in this film. Um, cinematography isn't, character study isn't, but I think the acting is better in mm. this film. I prefer okay. Reese to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this is a tad underwhelming, and it does use real like s- techniques that I don't like about films like this, like hallucinations. Yeah, I think I think for me they sort of when they get in them, I think they get a bit exploitative the the longer it goes, and the more into uh, Reese's backstory they go. Um, there was a film from <laughs> I love that I'm mentioning her. I can't believe it. I didn't even plan this. Um, <laughs> There's a film from a, few, a couple of years ago that got um, Oscar submitted from Denmark um, called The Angel, starring yeah. Maria Bonnaby, which is a drug film. And uh, the, the first half of that film was all about, it didn't have Maria Bonnaby in it, and it was all about how uh, this uh, child uh, grew up with a uh, abu- uh, abusive stepfather. And it's so beautifully made, absolutely wonderful perfect filmmaking and then you get into the modern storyline with um, Maria Bonnevie, uh becoming drug addicted and going on the game to um, fund it and it gets less interesting but, so uh, you, you feel like this should have been more the story isn't the hike the story is yeah, somewhere yeah. in her 20s I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking that it, in in that film the, the best part was not the actual uh, salaciousness of the subject matter. It wasn't the drugs and the sex. It was right, it, okay. it was the uh, what it was the childhood stuff. And in this, it seems like it's like two thirds of the way through. They sort of really, really, really suddenly go in the oh look, she's shagging everything that moves. Yeah, she's doing all these drugs. Blah 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 blah. And you know what? She put pro- well, obviously she was because it's based on her memoir. But yeah. I think. Um, it was more interesting when when they were going the um, I'm, I'm going to walk myself back to to the woman that my mother wanted me to be type direction yeah. than focusing on that. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to give it a B. Mm. I um, really hated the editing of this. <laughs> really hated it. Um, to the point that it actively annoyed me for the whole of the film. Um, so it's below average for me, so it's four out of ten. But I do think it has its merits. Uh, I just and really, what, what really... do you think about race? Oh, we'll talk. Oh, about really, yeah, we'll, we'll get onto that later. But uh, uh, I think she was very, very decent. Oh, good. Okay. Um, right. So we are finally going to talk about the. <laughs> oh shit! At one hour twenty-eight. <laughs> Don't say that because it's going to be cut. It will be less than that. Yeah. Um. So we're going to talk about the Oscar nominations, which were announced back on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, eight nominees this year, rather than nine for Best Picture. Mm. So run through them, they are American Sniper, Birdman, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Mm. Um, 
thoughts obviously surprises American Sniper was not expected in a big way people mm. had it on the lower end but obviously judging by the nominations it's not on the lower end yeah and why do you think this appealed to, to because it's like the Hurt Locker and, and they really love that and also it's um, very it's a very American feel mm-hmm. and also I think it's a very weak year so when you've got something that is similar to something they really liked before and you haven't got much competition you can kind of see how but, it's snuck in but um, above stuff like Foxcatcher we talked last week about Foxcatcher being the master of the uh, yeah, yeah and the master did miss out Mm. Um, and I, I think it's probably because of the subject matter, really, because Foxcatcher, no one really cares about um, somebody who killed someone or didn't, or whatever. Whereas um, this has got more, much more of a universal um, appeal. Mm. Hence the $90 million opening weekend. That's insane. Mm. It's biggest, uh, to, to be Avatar, especially... So that's just ridiculous. Crazy. Um, I don't. I mean, Bradley, you're talking about Chris Pratt. I mean, maybe it would have made the same numbers with Chris Pratt given Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe, yeah. But yeah. Um, Sel, do you want to talk about Selma now? Can do. Selma got two nominations: one for Best Picture, one for Best Song. Mm. Um, which is unusual. I didn't get any technical nominations, any acting nominations. Mm. And yet David Oyelowo looks great in the trailer. I know we haven't seen it yet, but he looks, I've seen it. <laughs> he looks great in the trailer. Well, I'm not going to say anything, but I I'm surprised that it did so badly. Mm. I think there must have been something wrong with the campaign. It didn't get the um, any sag noms. Well, I think there must have screen a problem going on. What I find interesting. Well, we're talking about Oscars now, so I can say it. What I find interesting now is that there was there was so long, for so many years, the the uh, Oscars had such a poor record on nominating uh, people from non-white races uh, that it was embarrassing. Yeah. And and then they actually got together, not deliberately, because I mean it's not as if. Um, no, it's uh, active. It's active. They, but, they they want to diversify it. That's an active well, thing. Well, they well, you hear the upper echelons of the Oscars say say that yes, we want we want to be more broad. At the end of the day, when Robert Duvall says that I voted for Terence Howard in Hustle and Flow, he's not voting for Terence Howard because Terence Howard is black. Yeah, you, you know you know what I mean. So I yeah I agree with you. As soon as this racism thing like the Academy of Racist thing mm. started out after the nominations, I was thinking, well, hold on, they've nominated Terence Howard for Hustle and Flow. Well, yeah. Eight and, years ago. And, and this is the thing, that they they had a year, they had like about three or four, or maybe even five years, where they were nominating um, uh, a, a black performer every single year. And I, I, Taraji I, P. Henson. Exactly. And I remember saying on IMDb, uh, what's actually going to happen when uh, they don't? Is, is, because they've been they've been doing it so consistently. When they don't, is it simply going to be yes, okay, fine? That's what we thought was the best this year, or uh, and what ended up happening was 
oh my goodness, there's no African-American performers. And that is BS because you can't just nominate someone just because, just because as a sort of like inverse racism way, you've got to nominate someone because they're black. Because the Academy has an absolutely horrendous record on nominating uh, uh, Oriental performers, or, or yeah. for example. Uh, is, is the fact that there's no black performers of the 20 actor nominees a problem? Yes, I think it is. But I think it's because of the industry. Yes. And it's not going to change unless you change the industry. As a reflection of what the nominees, the possible potential black nominees that might have been, like David or your Lowell, is it, you know, it's not unreasonable. I don't think it's unreasonable that there are no black nominees given well, two words people that entered, that, that got to this stage of the race. Two from words. media and critical perspective. Two words. Chad Bozeman. He was yeah. he was better than Carell. He was, and I thought he was better than Cooper, and I probably thought he was better than Cumberbatch as well. Came, um, came out in June. Yeah. So, July. So. I mean, that, it's, it's not as if there weren't other options. Yeah. Um... Anything else surprise you about the Best Picture lineup? Grand Budapest Hotel leads with nine nominations. Doesn't surprise me because it led at the BAFTAs as well. Yeah, but yeah, but it's I'm well okay. It's it's, it doesn't surprise me only because of how well it's been received in the in the uh, season up to this point. Yeah, you're not going to see it, are you? No, no, never. Okay. Uh, okay, Best Director. It's um. Martin Tildum got in, which I think is a sign of strength, the imitation game. I yeah. do think that's a challenge at boyhood. Mm. Um, but yeah. Bennett Miller got in there as well. Very surprising, but considering he, didn't, he wasn't even in the top eight. But there was always the lone director, traditionally. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, uh, directors are, the directors are very clubby, and they've nominated him before. Mm. Yes, twice. Twice? He didn't get no. He didn't I get that as well. He didn't get the money ball. Woody Allen got nominated. Disgraceful. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, I think that's a sign of strength that boy there uh, that Foxcatcher was close to the eight. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what do you think was? Um, what do you think was uh, the top five then? Because obviously, it's Birdman, Boyhood, Imitation Game, Budapest. Yeah. Obviously, those are the four. And, think, it, and then you got. I have a feeling it might be the theory of everything, just because. Really. Yeah, I, I don't. Rather know, I than think, American Sniper. Well, if you look at the, the nominations American Sniper got two sound, it did get the editing nomination. Well, this is the more thing. of an editor's film than Theory of Everything, isn't it? When you consider this particular thing as to what gets, in the old days, best picture nominated, top five best picture nominated. I remember doing this once and I went from like 2007 back to like 1990 or something like that and there was only two occasions where something got Best Picture nominated without director, screenplay or editing. One of them was Elizabeth and the other one was Beauty and the Beast and that was it. It's not going to, is it? And that was it. Yeah. So basically, if you don't have director, screenplay or editing, you you haven't got one of the three you haven't got a hope in hell. So Selma, no, obviously. Uh, and so, but then you're looking at theory, whiplash, and uh, sniper. I don't think this is whiplash. Now, you would obviously say, thinking, think if you didn't have the top eight, and you were looking at it 
for if you just said those four and then the rest, you'd think, well, Foxcatcher's got director and screenplay, but it didn't even make the top eight. So having two nominations doesn't really mean anything. I think it is Theory or Whip or Sniper. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of them. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just think Theory's more universal. I think... Do you not think have... the same people who are voting for Imitation Game are going to be voting for Theory? No, I think Theory skews more towards women. Okay. But there's only like 10% of women in the Academy or whatever it is. 40, 14%, yeah. yeah. True. Mm. But... I, I just think women, it's, well, there's not a lot of female driven films in that best picture crop, so I think the theory of everything's probably strong with women. Cool. So if it gets a lot of t- second place votes. Yeah, once Burt Boyhood's out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, best actor, um, <laughs> Steve Carell, Bradley Cooper, Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Keaton, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. I, I, I think three of these are good and I think two of them are decent. I think Corral and Cooper are decent and that's about it. I think uh, uh, Keaton, Redmayne and Cumberbatch in that order for me. Uh, and Keaton and Redmayne quite a distance ahead of Cumberbatch. Uh, if you'd have taken Gyllenhaal in over yeah. any of the last three. Carell. And he is, Gyllenhaal now is one of the biggest snubs in Oscar history based on precursors. Like... Um, uh, Jane Horrocks for uh, uh, Little Voice, Little Voice. like uh, Marion Cotillard for uh, Rust and Bone. It is a monster snub when you get SAG, BAFTA and Globe nominated in drama and yeah. miss out to somebody who hasn't got anything. But we did say that he's young. Yes, he is and, young. And he isn't as, he's not as young, is he as young as Bradley? I think he's probably... He's close, bit, isn't yeah. he? But Cooper's got more form yeah and that film Nightcrawler didn't hit no quite as much I think it was a little bit subversive obviously for, yeah. for too many people mm. but um, I don't know I, I think it's sad that Fines couldn't get in given that I think Fines is obviously sixth given the, the nine nominations for Grand Budapest mm. yeah, it's probably him or Oyelowo yeah mm. Best actress was um, Marion Cotillard, Two Days, One Night, yeah. uh, Felicity Jones, Julianne Moore, Rosamund Pike, and Reese Witherspoon. I think this is the best category. I, th- I think it's really... I would have preferred Jennifer Aniston, but I think that that is a wonderful nomination, given that she didn't get anything else. It's a really great Again, call from the Academy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the only uh, category I think it's got an excellent performance in it with Moore. I, yeah. I, I think uh, it's the only one of two that's got a very good one with Jones. And then uh, with, uh, I think Cotillard's good, and I think uh, we're assuming Pike are decent. Um, Pike. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would have much, 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 much preferred Amy in there. I think uh, she was one of the best performances of the, what they had to go on for me. But even without her, I, I think it's comfortably the best uh, uh, one of the lot I think it's nice as well that the Darden a Darden film has a nomination I don't know if they've got a nomination before for no they, they absolutely yeah. haven't so I think this is really good and that people who like me and you go back and say in 20 years to this year and say I'll, I'll watch this best actress nominee yeah that they'll get to see a Darden film and you know something different and mm. 
it's a decent film. And so people who seek that. out um, Three Colours Red because of the three noms. Yeah. And, you're, and, you're, and then you'll go, oh my God, why didn't Irene Jacob get nominated? And then you'll watch the other two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Then you'll go, why didn't Juliette Binoche get nominated the year before? <laughs> but I think it's obvious why Jennifer Aniston didn't get nominated. and that's, No respect. It's, it's Jim Carrey Madonna syndrome. Yeah, no respect. Yeah. And Cotillard is respected. Uh, sporting actor, um, I think two of these are lead. Robert Duvall, Ethan Hawke, Eb- Edward Norton, Mark Ruffalo and J.K. Simmons. Mm. I think this is great category. I like them all. Um, I think uh, Hawke's very good. I think Simmons, Ruffalo and Duvall are good. And I think Norton's okay. And uh, But this is these were the five across everywhere. The only one uh, that someone didn't make it was Duval for the BAFTA and the only reason Duval didn't make it for the BAFTA was because BAFTA had Carell in supporting. Yeah. This was the five. I said last week when we were predicting that I didn't think Duval was going to get in but I didn't know he had cancer in the film. Uh, <laughs> and that was short. Like, cause, and I do think he's great in the film. I actually think he's better than Simmons. I, mm. Um I, I think he's because I would I loved Norton but um, I think he's like third for me in that mm. category but that was really good and he's the oldest nominee now in history actor no, nominee really mm. well, what about supporting actress supporting actress is Patricia Arquette Laura Dern Kieran Knightley Emma Stone and Meryl Streep yeah I think this is one of the worst categories in history actually it's not great I, I should prefer Arquette. Yeah, Arquette is the, is good. Arquette, I, I have issues with her performance, but I think she's good. And I would nominate her myself because the year isn't particularly strong. But of the rest, of why the do you, rest... Why do you think, because we talked about Wild, why do you think Laura Dern got in there? She did campaign hard, but why do you think people voted for her ahead of um, Jessica Chastain or other people? I, I really don't know. I mean, because is it the cancer factor? I think it's familiar face. I think it's cancer factor, and I think it's uh, uh, obvi- there's quite a history of nominating more than one person in a film, uh, even if you don't particularly like the film. Like uh, in America, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's well if you watch less screeners. But then again, then again, you look at the other people who've been nominated, like Streep, Stone, and Knightley. I think Dern's better than all of them. But I I agree. I'd say I kept Dern. In fact, I'd go alphabetically. In I kept, I'd, go, I'd go. I'd go. I kept Dern, Stone, Knightley. Massive, 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 <laughs> massive, massive, massive gap. Then Streep. <laughs> or put or put it this way: Best Actor. I've seen seventy-seven best uh, best leading actor performances this year. Keaton's my best with in ninth. And my worst is Cooper in 41st. So he's passed halfway for me, Cooper. In Actress, I've got 29 performances. Moore is my first of what was eligible. Jones is my second of what was eligible. And my, yeah. and my last was Pike, which is 17th. Which, well, there's only 29. This is the difference. There's not that many roles for women. Uh, and that's sp- a problem. I actually, yeah, but Pike, Gone Girl, got absolutely shafted here. Mm. Um, and you didn't like it. I thought it was no. great. But mm. it's... It's, I think that that tell this, that speaks volumes the fact that she still got nominated because that is an interesting female role in the film yeah. and there aren't many interesting female True. roles. 
and and uh, but when you get to like sporting actor, I've got like 146. Uh, I, I thought Norton was okay, and he's like 50 seconds, so he's still like just under top third. Sporting yeah. actress, I've got 114 people who I've like oh I ranked, and and Streep is 113th. I think that is one of the worst. That is if not that is the worst. Because when when am I ever going to say someone who got Oscar nominated was the worst performance of the year? I'm never going to do that. And for me, Streep was the second worst supporting actress performance I saw this year. And I saw 114 performances. Mm. Anyway, I know you just screw on that one, but yeah, one one decent, one good, one decent, two okay, and one abysmal. It's a terrible year for me. And Russo, who, yeah. Who would be my top five based on what they could go on? That could have picked Russo. It's yeah. That's the big one for me. I mean, Russo compared with Street. Russo compared with Knightley. Russo compared with Stone. Oh no, there is no comparison. Okay. Bring back um, Watson, Saint Vincent. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Please God. Um, <laughs> right. Um, from the rest, I mean. Best foreign language they did snub Force Majeure. I got that right. Mm. Uh, cinematography like looks great for me. Um, they nominated Mr. Turner and Ida and Unbroken. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Mr. Turner, Mr. Turner was gorgeous. Mr. Turner's score got nominated, mm. which we famously emulated. <laughs> <laughs> the sing off. <laughs> Um, Lego Movie. Do you want to talk about the Lego Movie? Because that got you were right. Yeah, for once. Although you said that it was too immature and stupid, which may be a a part of it, but there is the stat that no uh, animate nothing's been nominated for animated feature that has had live action scenes in it. I don't think that's an issue. Well, I do. You do. The, in the, an animated the, branch, yes. Yeah, but the last, the, but the end, which includes the live section footage, is the only good bit of the film, and that <laughs> and that, and that makes the film. It, it stopped. That is the part of the film that stops it being an immature, stupid. But they mess. obviously didn't like either of them, did they? Either section, but it's like. Mm. But mm. it did get nominated for best original song. Ridiculous! <laughs> Ridiculous! Um, yeah, so Song of the Sea. When you consider something like Pop Goes My Heart didn't get nominated for music and lyrics, <laughs> and this does. Are you kidding me? Uh, well, they ch- they've changed the system, though. Have they? That's why. So it's not out of ten anymore. Oh, so right. nobody can rank it one out of ten. It's just a general thing. Just the top five films you liked. To- uh, songs you liked. Yeah. Um, don't think there's anything else particularly noteworthy. There. No, so we need to stop that. talking. We do. <laughs> Shag Mary or Kill. Right, uh so I'm going to Shag as in watch again right this is actually really difficult. Mm. I would watch again right now just because I uh I'd watch Whiplash again right now. Just because okay. it's the least, uh, it's 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 probably the, it's, it's it's I could the music? I, I could do it, I could do it. I wouldn't want to watch Sniper or Wild right now. Uh, I would watch 
my old lady every week for the rest of my life because it's easy. Uh, mm. Then everything else in Testament of Youth is just a, a chore. And I would kill... Good God. I'd probably kill Wild just for the editing. <laughs> okay. I would probably marry Wild. Mm. Um, Shag American Sniper because I want to... Bradley. Rewatch, rewatch it again for another political reassessment. Yeah. See what's going on there. A beard reassessment. Wait for it. Yeah. And um, kill my old lady because I just thought it was bad. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the position. The position, oh god. Epic position. Yeah, American Sniper. Mm. Sienna Miller, who I don't care for in general when blonde. I'm going to give it to Poots. Ooh. Yes, it's close. It's close. I tell you, she'd never look better. I agree with you. She'd never look better. uh, Whiplash. uh, Miles Teller's like two-minute girlfriend. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My old lady. Max, no. Kristen Scott Thomas, I don't think it would ever have been a yes. Um... Testament of Youth, Alicia Vikander. Damn, it's so close. Because <laughs> she's, it's it's a borderline say do, and she's just with the Oxford wannabeness. It's just it's it's a bit of a sultana. So <laughs> so I'm gonna go with uh, Poots on this one. <laughs> um, wild um, Reese getting her tits out for once. <laughs> I'm gonna say do. I can't believe it's a Pootsist of gold. <laughs> it's gold medal for Poots this week. I think you liked him more. You like him more than you thought you did. Maybe. Um, I've got. Oh god, I think I've written this down. Hopefully, yeah. I can't remember. Right. Sniper. Sniper. Bradley Cooper. Very, very close. Very close with the beard and the yeah. weight. But no. Oh, because it's Garrett. Garrett Gage. Yes. Yeah, the Garrett Gage is. He would have beaten uh, Isaac, surely. He would have beaten Isaac, yeah. Mm. But different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, what have we got next? Whiplash. Whiplash. Miles No. Miles No. Simmons, very commanding. Ah! Um, ah! Yes. Even com- very commanding in Oz, but even in Oz, no. Um, yeah. Just in general. And um, then, that, then that scene just makes it a no. <laughs> the ginger drummer was alright, but no. Yeah. Bit boyish uh, for you. <laughs> My old lady, Kevin Klein. Is I doubt, age, I doubt it would ever be a yes, would it? Never would have been a yes, no. And there's no other men in the. F- oh, the the scummy estate agents are no. The scummy no. buyers are no. Um, didn't see Testament of Youth. Wild. I, no, there's no yes, isn't that? Reese's husband is close. Yeah. And I didn't mention this, but I he's actually near my top five. I thought it was great. The husband. Yeah. I just thought, like, their relationship was fleshed out mm. a lot by him. But anyway, it's a no. So mm. it's 1.0 on the right, on the gauge. Easy one for both, uns- unsuspectingly. We have a website. It's moveforpodcast.com. You could check out all our grades um, for every film ever and um, our archive, which I'm going to update, I promise, at some point. Huh. Um, 
Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Move Podcast, Facebook in the Move Podcast. Please ask questions because next week we don't have a ton of stuff to watch. We have a most violent year. Really? Will Ch- Chastain probably Hathaway? Yeah. Mordecai. Looks terrible, just from the trailer. Awful. Just from the posters. Awful. Have you not seen the trailer? No. Oh, God. Terrible. We have Ex Machina from the direct air uh, from Alex Garland. Alex Garland. Garland. <laughs> Alex Garland. That's all I'll say. Well, you know, he's written enough. <laughs> enough films. It's his turn. It's he's, his ri- turn. he's written enough films that have a terrible third act. He may as well direct one of them. <laughs> he's not going to do worse than Trance, is he, really? Well, no. In fact, he never. He didn't even write trance. So. Yeah. And we also have um, the Gambler with Mark Wahlberg and Jessica Lange. So there's plenty of stuff next week. Do you have a jam? I do. It's Jasmine Sullivan. The song's called Mascara. Right. Mine is uh, a band called The Acorn, and the song's called Spring Thaw. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I love how differences in the jams. <laughs> neither, of us, neither of us would have heard of. <laughs> we should do. I think we should start like a playlist on the website. Jam history. Although it's going to involve Pete, me Pete, going through every episode. Pete and Cal's infinite playlist. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're obviously you're obviously Michael Chera, and I'm just the um, uh, <laughs> the busty brunette. I remember colors painted in my Green was for the springtime, blue the summer skies. But now the skies have darkened, the white clouds turn to gray. What a way to break a heart! He took all the colors away. Is the color of my life Since you've been gone Since you've been gone